0: Should all disasters be forgot And never brought to mind That would be a wonderful life But it ain't this one 2021 was a bad year for disasters Drought, oil spills, bomb cyclones, wildfire, Omicron Yet if you're listening, you survived I'm Gustavo Ariano. You're listening to The Times, Daily News from the LA Times. It's Tuesday, December 14th, 2021. As journalists, we spend so much time covering all the bad in the world that we rarely take time to stop and think. So as the year ends, that's what we're going to do today. What worried us, what really worries us for 2022, and what gives us hope for the new year? Yup. It's our time to gather our monthly panel of peril, our correspondence calamities, our derridas of doom, to reflect on this year and share how they've stayed afloat through it all. On today, the latest installment of our series, Masters of Disasters, Musica Maestro. Brilling the wildfire chair as always is la times reporter alex wigglesworth alex do lights on christmas trees totally freak you out
1: only if they're outside the fox news headquarters
0: Uh uh-oh zing up next are shakespeare shakers and father of the bunny named jewel ron lynn ron what holiday does jewel like more christmas or easter
2: oh easter the chocolate bunnies are a big thing for her
0: oh cool i didn't know uh bunnies like chocolate bunnies interesting (laughs) And finally, our Empress of the Coast, Rosanna Shaw. Rosanna, are you one of those people who runs into the cold ocean to welcome the new year?
3: (laughs) Cold is relative. I was just in the ocean the other day and it was wonderful.
0: Oh, that means it's very cold because I can't take it. But anyways... Welcome, masters, all to the final Masters of Disasters for 2021. And let's start, as most of the times, with Ron. And Ron, you're an earthquakes expert, but you've spent nearly two years covering COVID-19. Do you think you'll go back to all things seismic anytime soon? And please say no, because earthquakes
2: are so chuggy. I actually hope so, because if when I go back to earthquakes, then that means the pandemic will have faded.
0: But then we have earthquakes, and earthquakes are, like, super evil.
2: Yeah, but they're, they're going to come. They're, you know, it's inevitable. I, I, I tell people all the time that, like, you know, I would not be surprised if it happens tomorrow. Oh Yeah, yeah.
0: Well, last time we talked about earthquakes, there was an earthquake. But jokes aside, the pandemic has been life altering. It's left hundreds of thousands of people dead in the U.S. and changed basically the lives of all of us, all of us, whether rich or poor, whatever. It changed us one way or another. But you as a reporter, Ron, how have you covered all of this, given how immense the story has been and also how never ending it is?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's been pretty crazy, right? Because, I mean, even with earthquakes, like it does hopefully you know it usually fades away you know within a month or two in terms of like the extreme crisis but this is like a crisis that is 24/7 it doesn't hit just one area of like California at one time it affects the whole world so it's been really tough you know sometimes you're covering it being bad in one part of the state and it's fading in another part of the state and there's almost no relief from it i can't really see it fading really you know except for a couple of months from now
0: at least with earthquakes, LA Times has something called QuakeBot, where like there's a robot that literally writes an earthquake story, just blah, 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 blah. We're still not in coronavirus, but do you think we're ever going to get to that point?
2: I mean, I think so. Pandemics fade, right? I mean, the, the best thing we can do is look at the 1918 flu pandemic, right? Eventually, people get immunity. In today's world, we hope it's through vaccination and not getting infected and then having the risk of dying from it. But it will fade at some point. The question is, is you know, how much damage is it going to give us until we get there? Was there one
0: COVID-19 story in particular or a couple that stuck with you?
2: Yeah, I mean, one of the things that really kind of eye-opening is, is how it really opened our eyes up to the inequities that we face. And so, like, one of the things that really bothers me is there are a number of things that bother me. But one of them is just seeing how COVID really hit different communities, you know, very differently. Our black and latino communities were hit much harder, lower income communities were hit much harder. Remember that whole sense of unity that we had in the days after we had the pandemic? Like it lasted a day. Yeah, and and you know we would all clap, right, for the healthcare workers. And now, you know, there's a lot of people who won't follow what healthcare workers are telling us to do, which is, you know, to get vaccinated. And it's it's kind of a shame.
0: Yeah, it goes up and down. I mean, I remember we were supposed to have hot vac summer. That went nowhere because of Delta. Then, oh, you know, the fall, Thanksgiving, we're all going to be hanging out. And now Omicron is here. I think that's how you pronounce it, right? Omicron? Uh, There was a tweet from the state health officer saying that. Just pronounce it the Spanish way and you're golden. Oh, well, in that case, it's Omicron. So what the hell do they know? Right. Okay, pronunciation aside, how worried should we be about Omicron or Omicron or whatever we want to call it?
2: We want to pronounce it the way it's pronounced in Spanish, Omicron, I think. Well, Gustavo, you would know better than me, right? Oh, yeah. Um, Stereotype (laughs) the Mexican, why don't you? But (laughs) anyway, how worried should we be? We are seeing Omicron starting to spread rapidly in Britain. And so there are experts who do think it'll be a thing. In the U.S., uh, and we just don't know how bad of a thing it will be. But the most important thing to do is get vaccinated, get your booster shots, and still wear your masks in indoor public settings and maybe get tested before you go to a big indoor party where you don't know the vaccination status of everyone else. It's just something to really keep an eye out. And also just remember that it is possible for fully vaccinated people to get the virus, whether it be Delta or Omicron.
0: Rosanna, as part of your coastal duties, you revealed, I mean, you want to talk about a story that just off the coast of beautiful Catalina Island in Southern California, traditional getaway for almost all Southern Californians, there's a massive dumping ground for DDT. I was surprised when you just said earlier that you still go into the ocean. The question that I had for you was, do you even let the waves touch your feet anymore?
3: (laughs) I mean, I did find myself thinking a lot about chemicals this year. And the reality is we live with a lot of chemicals in the environment. And I just wrote about this huge research project that looked at how sea level rise is going to flood toxic waste sites and landfills along our coast, things that we weren't really thinking about and how that could expose nearby residents to dangerous chemicals and polluted water. And with DDT, since you know we first reported last year that tons of DDT historically got dumped into the ocean. There's been a lot of movement on this issue politically and also within the marine science world. DDT, to quickly recap, is this pesticide that was super popular in the 1950s that we finally banned because it was so effective that it also poisoned birds and fish. It was the first chemical that really jolted the public into action with Rachel Carson's Silent Spring.
0: Yeah, it's a landmark book. Came out in 1962.
3: And yet we're still living with the legacy of this forever chemical. DDT takes generations to break down, so we're finding out the long, long, long long-term consequences of living with this chemical in our environment. For example, I wrote about sea lions earlier this year, specifically the sea lions in California. They've been dying for years from this mysterious cancer, and a team of researchers led by the Marine Mammal Center up in Sausalito started piecing things together and figured out that the more DDT and other chemicals like DDT that a sea lion had in its blubber, the more likely the cancer would spread and take over its body. And our sea lions in California still have so much DDT in their bodies, our dolphins too, because forever chemicals don't go away. They just reaccumulate up the food chain.
0: And that's terrible. And we're at the top of the food chain. So this DDT legacy also continues with the children and grandchildren of people who are exposed to it.
3: Yeah. And I, I should add that sea lions are particularly interesting. I'm not just pro-sea lion. They're a really powerful indicator species for human health as well. So sea lions, their environment truly is our environment. They swim in the same shallow waters we swim and surf in. They eat a lot of the same seafood that we eat. They come onto land and breathe the same air we breathe, unlike dolphins or whales. So sea lions, I was particularly fascinated by because they are a good window into the health of the ocean as it pertains to our health. And regarding the study that you just alluded to, DDT impacts the humans. There was this huge study this year that tracked how DDT gets passed from a pregnant person to their child who was exposed in the womb, who then passed it to their child. And there are all these indications that chemicals like DDT could continue, in fact, to impact even the fourth and fifth generations, even though it was only the first generation in the 50s that was directly exposed to the chemical. DDT exposure has been linked to breast cancer, obesity, birth defects, reduced fertility, even testicular cancer, there are a ton of complications and a lot of questions and unknowns that we're just starting to find out about. Again, a forever chemical is forever with us.
0: Well, hell. We'll be back after this break.
3: Alex, we came into
0: 2021 with a bunch of factors working against us for the fire season, a long-term drought, parched soil, the snowpack in the Sierra Nevada, which is supposed to melt gradually into spring and summer, was nearly gone by May and might not even exist in the future, although that's a whole other Masters of Disasters episode. No snow future. Wow. How busy were you this year when it came to wildfires?
1: Pretty busy. The summer ended up being just as hot and dry as forecasters had predicted. It was California's hottest summer on record. We started seeing big, damaging fires pretty early in the year, starting with the Palisades fire in mid-May. And by July, more land had burned in California than at the same point in 2020, which was number one in terms of acres burn. So everybody was pretty worried. And in some ways, it was a bad fire season. We had fires burn all the way from one side of the Sierra to the other, which has never happened before in recorded history. Multiple towns were destroyed. Three people were killed. Fires burned through giant sequoia groves again. And it's looking like another chunk of the tree's population is going to be wiped out. And although we didn't end up surpassing the 4 million plus acres that burned in 2020, as of late November, we'd had nearly 2.6 million acres burn, which is more than any other year except last year.
0: My vey.
1: But it could have been worse. We didn't have a mass fatality event like when the town of Paradise was destroyed in 2018. We didn't have really widespread dry lightning storms that started a ton of fires at once like last year. We had a series of wet storms in Northern California in October that basically brought the fire season to an end up there, unlike some years when we had big fires continue into November and December. And in Southern California, we've had some Santa Ana wind events, which are often the driver of big fires here, but not as many as in some years. The National Interagency Fire Center is expecting below normal temperatures, a below normal number of Santa Ana events, and near normal to a little above normal precipitation, from now through the next couple of weeks and says the risk of the state seeing a significant wildfire is actually low to little
0: what like hope actual hope what kind of disaster is hope to the disaster beat alex like you cannot live with hope because then you have no beat
1: yes and no i think it's kind of like so like you need rain sometimes to enjoy the sun you need a little hope to keep covering wildfires yeah
0: 2021 was a bummer but if you have hope, maybe 2022 will be better. Rosanna, especially you, you know, your stories seem to have this elegant quality to it, like sad, 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 because the damage is so slow yet permanent. That's the worst part about it, but you're not a gloomy Gooty. Why? (sighs)
3: I guess I'll speak to a point that Ron made earlier. One thing that has given me a lot of hope this year is seeing the growing attention to the intersection of environmental justice to so many of these issues. People are starting to really listen to the lived experiences of communities that are often overlooked and who don't have the same political power as wealthier communities. And really, we're pointing out these inequities, which I think is really hopefully going to deepen a conversation that should have been happening now. And with the new research on sea level rise and toxic sites that I was just talking about, they found that, for example, lower income communities of color in California are predominantly the ones stuck with this problem. It's not a coincidence that these are the communities living with the toxic landfills and refineries and all the things that no one wants in their neighborhood. And now we have more data to paint this picture that really gets to the heart of our discriminatory land use practices of the past. (laughs) Sorry, I, I just went down the gloom hole again. I'll just wrap by saying it does give me hope that people are paying attention to change, to pollution, to inequity, to, you know, all the beauty in this world that we can still save. Climate change is an issue that I feel like more people are talking about and thinking about in deeper, more thoughtful ways. I've had so many great conversations this year that went really deep on our human relationship with nature.
0: Yeah. No, knowledge is always hope. The the more we learn, the more hope we can get. That's absolutely true. Not being sarcastic for once. And Ron, I don't even want to ask you this, but can we ever be optimistic about the pandemic?
2: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's plenty to be optimistic about. I mean, like where we are right now compared to where we were last year we can have family gatherings again. If we're all vaccinated, we have like, you know, lots of tests. There's a lot to be hopeful and optimistic about that. The worst is hopefully, you know, really over, you know, barring anything, you know, super unforeseen. And so there's a lot of hope that I have that we've gotten out of the scariest part. It's just a matter of how we go out forward from here.
0: So how about any hope on the earthquake, I mean, uh, (laughs) 2021 had almost next to no big earthquakes. uh, And the last big one that we've covered at least was the 2019 one in Trona. So hopefully there won't be any more big earthquakes for at least after our lifetimes.
2: (laughs) (laughs) You would hope, but that's not the way it works. But you know, the one thing that is hopeful We have another city, Culver City, that is now requiring soft-story apartment buildings to be retrofitted. That is a small but hopeful sign of cities getting more into trying to make sure that homes don't collapse on people when the next big earthquake comes. But there is still a lot of more work to do. Most cities in California that are at great risk of earthquake shaking don't have these rules in place. And so that's something that I think a lot of city officials will need to take a hard look at ahead.
3: Ron, I just want to say you would be so proud of me. I had a few friends move to the Bay Area this year and also in California, and I bought them Quake putty for Christmas. (laughs) That's
2: awesome. I mean, one of the great things is that, you know, in LA, for example, you see a bunch of soft story apartment buildings getting retrofitted. I mean, it is now like a thing. And I think a lot of people are aware that like, hey, look at your carport. If there are flimsy poles holding it up, That is not a good sign. And I think that that awareness is spreading. So I think that's a sign of hope. It's just that, you know, there's a lot more cities that that need to do the right thing.
0: We'll be back after this break. And now comes our ending segment, as always, of Masters of Disasters, where we ask our masters what's bringing them joy. So, Alex, what is bringing you joy this month?
1: Yeah, so it's a great time of year to do some desert camping. You can have a campfire. You can sleep under the stars. The weather's nice. You won't die from the heat for once. So highly recommend it.
0: And then last month, I think it was last month, where you went to see a rebounding population of monarch butterflies.
1: Yeah, that was awesome, too. And I understand that they are still there in Pismo Beach. They have a monarch butterfly grove. It's beautiful.
0: Ron, we need to hear joy, but only through the prism of your rabbit jewel. What
2: What is joy through jewel right now? Joy through jewel right now is, <laughs> is uh, doing this thing.
3: Joy to the jewel.
2: Yeah, there we go, Rosanna. <laughs> Is this thing that she'll do now where, like, she will um, not only, like, wring her her dish to summon me so that she can get extra helpings of pellets throughout the day, but she'll also start running toward me. And she's slowly figuring out the ways to manipulate to get whatever she wants. Uh Uh-oh. You know, you you give them some smarts and they
0: turn against you. I mean, remember Monty Python and the quest for the Holy Grail. They showed how evil rabbits can be. So, Jewel, please be nice forever. And then finally, Rosanna, what's bringing you joy?
3: I'm sure a good mudslide cocktail, right? (laughs) (laughs) That was good. Um, What's bringing me joy? I was recently reminded of a word in Finnish that I had learned a few years ago. This word is... I may have butchered that pronunciation, but this word roughly translates to the feeling of knowing you're about to get drunk, alone, at home, in your underwear, because why not, with no intention of going out. (laughs) I would just say I'm not even a big drinker, but this just inspired me to take control of my own home again, to make it a place of comfort again, and not just the place where I feel trapped all the time with all the chaos of working from home. So I hope hearing this word brings everyone joy and some inspiration to reset our relationship with home into the new year.
0: Cal Sarikini, everyone. And that was our Masters of Disasters, Alex Wigglesworth, Ron Lynn and Rosanna Shaw.
3: Thank you all. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks.
0: And that's it for this episode of The Times, daily news from the LA Times. Tomorrow, the 100-year history of Seize candies. And yep, I'm doing a whole taste test for it. Our show is produced by Shannon Lynn, Denise Guerra, Kasha Borsalian, and Melissa Kaplan. Our engineer is Mario Diaz. Our editor is Lauren Rapp. Our executive producers are Shawnee Hilton and Hasmin Aguilera. And our theme music is by Andrew Ipe. Like what you're listening to? Then make sure to follow The Times on whatever platform you use. Don't make us to Puchia Podcasts. I'm Gustavo Ariano. We'll be back tomorrow with all the news in this mother. Gracias.